Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to a reload of the What's Next podcast. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I always like to bring those ones back that had a huge impact, not only on myself, but I got a lot of feedback from listeners just like you. I hope you enjoy this week's reload of the What's Next podcast. Hi, welcome to this week's What's Next podcast, where I have the pleasure of welcoming Nick Davis to the show. He is a managing partner at Reaching the Future Faster and author of the Amazon bestselling book, Future Ready, A Changemaker's Guide to the Exponential Revolution. He is the prior VP of Enterprise Solutions and the current faculty chair for corporate innovation at Singularity University. He is also a venture partner at Bold Capital, which invests in high growth startups that leverage exponential technologies. He's previously served as external innovation leader for PwC and the director of corporate development for the Anderson School of Management at UCLA. Nick, welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me, ma'am. Excited to be here. Yeah, so we're going to have a little fun. So we're going to start out with something I call bullish and bearish. Uh, as my listeners know, nothing too painful, I hope. Uh, bullish is you're for it. Bearish, you're against it. Are you ready? I am ready to go. All right. First one, shopping via augmented reality or virtual reality, bullish or bearish? Well, obvious one for me, right? Bullish. All right. Well, you know, I have to give softballs. (laughs) All right. The next one, Uh, working from home, bullish or bearish? Bullish. All right. We'll talk about that one in a minute. And then the third one, a little, you know, more fun, uh, drive-in theaters, bullish or bearish? Given the state of things now, I will definitely say bullish. Yeah, I I have to say, you know, I was like, look, there's all these empty malls and huge parking lots. I don't know why someone's not putting up, you know, old black and whites and bring back the bring back the drive in. So uh, I'm glad that you said that. But let's get right down to the brass tacks of this, because you spend so much of your time around innovative technologies and change makers and companies that are doing you know, really innovative things. And so I'm going to back up to those bullish and bearish. And let's start a little bit with the augmented reality and virtual reality. I know that you've got some thoughts there about, um, you know, how that may just future shape the way consumers maybe engage with brands, but also people experience all kinds of things, you know, picking paints or furniture or whatever it might be, buying houses now, especially in the light of, of what's going on. So maybe walk people through sort of your thinking on, on why you were so bullish on that comment or question. Yeah, I, I think, you know, um, you know, the, the, the current state of things isn't, you know, with COVID-19 isn't necessarily, um, you know, dr- driving this particular trend, uh, although it's certainly increasing and accelerating it. You know, I think for me, the, the kind of big two areas that will experience these is, is retail and training, right? And so for, you know, for retail first, you know, you, know you, you mentioned a couple of things there. Customers are, are, you know, wanting a more immersive experience. They want to be able to understand and feel and experience the products that they're buying today. Um, and ultimately, you know, we're now seeing places where, you know, it's not always safe to do that in, in a in-person, in-store packed experience, right? Walking through a Walmart or a Target. And so, you know, I think retailers for a while have been getting smart on, you know, leveraging the phones themselves with, you know, multiple cameras to do overlays of augmented reality to show someone more product details or more information around, you know, how a piece of furniture will fit into a room and what it will look like and so on. 
Um, but I think that's probably really just scratching the surface ultimately. Uh, you know, as these tools get more and more capable with the Oculuses and HoloLenses of the world, um, you know, our phones get more and more capable with the lenses and, and what they can do with the cameras, you know, and then have the 5G applied to it. I think we'll start to experience a world where a digital overlay um, is, is kind of ever present, if you will, uh, and hopefully not too intrusive. And so, you know, it really can expand our, our purchasing experience and, and help us feel and live and see and, you know, even digitally touch products before we really make the purchase themselves um, and allow retailers to kind of reach us in a new and, and, and more immersive way. You know, from a training standpoint, and this is probably the one where I'm, I'm the most bullish, you know, we're reaching a point now where the need for individuals to upskill and reskill is just accelerating at an exponential rate. And now we're hitting a paradigm where kind of the classroom itself from a safety perspective is being disrupted. You know, we're seeing, you know, obviously, you know, a whole new paradigm here that we've never seen before. And, you know, we now can say, I can put the instructor, I can put the uh, person teaching me a trade skill, you know, into my physical world using augmented reality, right? If I'm trying to train someone to be a plumber, I can put a hollow lens on them and, you know, the, the plumber's hand that, that, that it's teaching can come in from the digital world and point to where they need to screw or tighten or move or, or learn to be able to, to do that certain trade. And it's going to give us this whole new paradigm for immersive learning. Uh, you know, there's a lot being done to kind of full VR, you know, classrooms, go and do you know, conferences in a virtual world. We're seeing huge concerts with hundreds of thousands of people through gaming. I think we're getting more comfortable with this ready player one world that we're sprinting towards, um, you know, but, but training is a big piece where, you know, especially I think for augmented reality, where we can overlay, you know, this, this learning into the person's physical world that they're currently present in, it will, um, you know, get, get more and more immersive around us and obviously, you know, increase the rate of adoption across, you know, all of, all the different learning platforms. Well, so, you know, I, I, I was working on something this morning and kind of talking about, uh, well, writing about, I should say, AR and VR, you know, and, and thinking of, of, you know, using an Oculus or someone like that, that, you know, we've had these things available for some time. And, and so maybe this current pandemic is going to be the catalyst that gets people to feel more comfortable with using some of these you know, I'm going to use innovative technologies that for the long tail feels really disruptive and innovative, but for people who, you know, live in the, in the tech world or Silicon Valley or work for a tech company, um, or talk about it all the time, it's kind of like, yes, you know, this, these are things we could, could have been doing and we're going to do more now. So do you think that some of these behavior changes or the things that have been learned will stick as we get ourselves kind of back to work and back to growth and, and uh, I'm not using back to normal. Uh, I'm using sort of this new future as my term. Uh, but uh, do you think that some of these habits will stick? I do. I mean, I, the one I've been hearing a lot recently is kind of the, the, the new better, not the new normal. Um, and, I, and I like that, that new better you know, kind of focus. I think, you know, we're going to take lessons learned for hopefully a lot from, from this, right? Trying to understand you know, what we could have done better before, what we learn about ourselves and the way we run our businesses during, and then ultimately apply those to how we operate in the future. And, and you know, you think about, you know, the massive amount, millions of people who have now, you know, immediately learned how to have a teleconference. They're working from home. They're doing remote working, you know, and, and Zoom obviously being the, the biggest player in that. 
we've we've taught an entire population of individuals who were really resistant to that to now do it very very quickly. And I think you know there's obviously all kinds of you know you know parenting from home and different complexities that happen with that. But, but I think we've trained a new muscle as in, you know in ourselves as a society where we're starting to say you know these technologies really can allow us to be proficient you know, outside the office and, you know, and, you know, of the, the different conversations I've been having, it, it sounds a lot like, you know, for the first time ever for us, an individual who can work from home will at least have the ability to choose whether and when, you know, whereas the old paradigm was like, even if they could get it done, you know, on a beach with a laptop or in a hollow lens, it doesn't, you know, whatever device you want to use, it was still a like social pressure to come to work, especially in like more, more, you know, a little older companies that have been more established. Well, now it's like, I'm perfectly capable to bring my whole self, my whole work through this remote experience, show up, get it done. I'm hearing a lot of people in my network say they're working more because obviously they've got their whole life that they can kind of jump back in, you know, after the kids go to bed at 11 o'clock and finish something. And so It'll be interesting to see if productivity, you know, decreased a lot or if there's situations where, you know, we now learn and have taught ourselves that, you know, working from home isn't a bad thing. It's actually got some really good, good, good pluses and people stick with it. Yeah. And, and, and I'd say that uh, I, I think that um, working from home is one of those, you know, sort of one of those questions, right, that I've worked from home for 14 years. Uh, and while I travel a ton, you know, so I'm not like home nine to five, five days a week, you know, just working, working, working out of the house. Uh, so I get a little bit of human interaction and that kind of mental and team stimulation, you know, in, in my travel, if you will. Uh, but I think that we're, you know, I hear sort of two sides of the coin. One, I'm, I'm, I feel personally, I'm working more, harder, longer. I'm more productive because I'm not traveling at the moment but I'm feeling a little bit more burnout than I normally feel, you know, on a heavy travel week um, because it's just like back to back to back to back and a lot of video medium because people are like, look, I can't see you. Like, and you know, they've never worked from home. They're like, I want to see people. <laughs> right. Um, so I wonder if there's going to be some fatigue. I think there definitely is. And I think we're starting to experience that. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I was in a conversation last week with a few people talking about just getting kind of the blue blocker sunglasses, right. And, and, you know, so the screen, you know, uh, light isn't really giving them the headaches towards the end of the day. You know, I've got hacks for my life where, you know, I've got my, my earbuds and I'll typically do, you know, kind of household chores while I'm doing conference calls where I'm not needed to be seen, you know, cause it just keeps me active, keep me moving. Cause if I'm staring at this screen for multiple hours a day, it, it can really wear on you. And so I think we're going to have to learn to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, with this new movement towards more flexible working environments, that flexibility doesn't just mean, you know, you sit at your desk at work and you sit at your desk at home. And, and that's the new, that's the new paradigm. You know, I, I want to live in a world where, you know, it's perfectly okay for me to be taking a conference with a client as we're working on a problem, but I'm also walking my dog, right? And, and there may be a little bit of a wind interference or whatever, but that entirety of what I'm able to bring isn't discounted because of that, right? And the more we can leverage these technologies to bring these experiences forward, but still be human while we do it, and we all allow ourselves that comfort level with it. I mean, I, I see so many now where the dogs are in the laps and the kids are in the background. And now that social pressure is gone from it because it's, it's happening to all of us, 
right? And and we, we there's a less judgment that comes with it whenever like, well, you've got your dog, I'm ha- I have my dog, it's all fine. It's not like you're that one outlier person who's at their house with their, you know, called homesick with their children today and everyone else is in the suit and tie in the office, right? That makes you feel strange. But now I think we're all embracing it in a really supportive manner and and it feels different, but you really got to be cognizant of the fact that you know, you know, sitting in a chair for multiple hours in the office is going to have an impact on your health and it will have the same impact if you do it at home. Yeah, and I, and I, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that, uh, um, and, and you see so many businesses in this pivot, it's not just working from home, it's educating from home and healthcare from home and shopping from home and all of this. And, um, you know, I think that people are a little more forgiving for things that are going on you know, if you're distracted or, you know, it's just, it's just a little crazy. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this tends to balance out, uh, especially with all these advancements, uh, in technologies that maybe were not used as much as they are being used at the moment. Uh, video is just one, but there's all kinds. Um, yeah. And so, so maybe talk a little bit about your, the sort of the guide, you know, let's get into your book, a future ready. Uh, you know, I know you came up with this kind of thinking around this exponential revolution. Maybe you can share uh, what that's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the book is basically encapsulation of you know, the last you know, 10, 10 years or so of the work that I've been doing with, you know, kind of the fortune 200 rage brands. Um, and it really comes down to kind of, you know, how are we navigating our way to the future? You know, ultimately, you know, of course, technology plays a large role in that. But so does leadership, so does strategy, so does culture. And so the book itself, what we're bringing forward is a bunch of examples of different work that we've done um, in seeing, you know, obviously some things didn't work. Some things have worked wonderfully with some of these large organizations, both, you know, new tech companies and companies that are 130, 150 years old. And we've tried to boil that down to kind of one consolidated, at least high level framework. So it starts to give the individual reader um, or the organization a place to kind of start with. And, and you know, we were really purposeful on the idea that we wanted to make it so someone could kind of jump around chapters, depending on what they were focused on in that particular time. Uh, but the running thesis, thesis from an academic standpoint is this. So, you know, if you are wanting to, you know, make your way to the future successfully and at an accelerated pace so you're competitive, you have to have a future-focused strategy leveraging exponential technologies, right? You have a clear vision of that future and the one that you're wanting to create. And I don't mean just a five-year strap plan. What I mean is like, you know, in 20 years, we as an organization want to live in this world and we're going to, you know, uh, be as aggressive as we can be to help that world come to a realization. And the most, you know, the, the best example out there is a, a Tesla, right? Like Elon Musk, you can tell by the way he operates in this world, there is a world of you know, battery powered autonomous cars that he wants to live in and he is going to do everything that he can to build it. And, you know, that, that passion around who and what we want to be, that, that, that exponential strategy, in my mind, is kind of the first step. And then ultimately, we do some work on uh, what has typically been known as corporate innovation, uh, but we call it you know, exponential innovation. But, but it simply says that, you know, in order for us to stay competitive, we have to be building the products and solutions for our current and future customers. We can't rest on our laurels. We have to understand where the market is going. We have to be building on and with these technologies. And ultimately, we have to be able to say, okay, if, if, if we know and we do that artificial intelligence, machine learning, 
you know, adversarial networks, you know, deep neural networks, these things are here to stay. We know that we need to be leveraging them. So we need to get out ahead of that. And it may be a little messy in the beginning, but we're going to push as fast as we can to develop capability around that technology and then push our products and services around it. That will make us innovative. And so, you know, exponential innovation. In the last, you know, kind of two pieces of the, of the puzzle are, are people oriented, right? So there's exponential leadership, uh, which basically says, you know, we as individuals are going to have to prepare ourselves to live in this new paradigm. Like we're, we're all feeling it right now, right? It's a very visceral feeling at times, but technology, the pace of change, um, you know, really how we have to switch our mindsets and unlearn the old way and relearn new ways, upskill constantly. This is a new way of working. And we as executives, we as leaders, uh, you know, our teams have really got to adapt our mindset, the way that we operate in the world to be able to be competitive and lead through, uh, through this exponential revolution. And then ultimately culture, right? So, you know, nothing matters if the environment for, uh, you know, innovation and strategy aren't, aren't awesomely aligned. And so, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, how do we create this environment where we've got an aligned understanding of the vision that we're trying to create. And ultimately we have, you know, the support from, you know, the board, the E-team, all the way through the organization for aligned and quick decision-making. You know, how can we all support each other to be able to get there? Because we all know if it's a bad culture, you know, you can say you're as innovative as you want to, but ultimately it's going to fail. So, you know, strategy, innovation, leadership, and culture, uh, you know, it doesn't sound, you know, hugely complex, but as you get deeper into the models in the book, you know, we're talking about everything from, you know, how does HR manage their robot workforce to, you know, how do you create the waves of disruption and become the surfer as you ride them? Um, there's a lot of different examples and stories that we bring out um, and some cautionary tales as well. And so if someone's, you know, listening to this, they haven't read the book yet. Uh, what do you think, you know, if you were to say across those three axes, right, innovation, leadership, culture, um, where, where would you recommend people begin? I mean, for me, everything starts with the people and the vision for the future. So, you know, you, you really can't have one without the other, but those are both good places to start. So, you know, you can start by changing the mindset of your individuals and then work with them to create that vision of the future. That's one way that a lot of our customers have gone about it. Or you can start with the, what I'll often hear from customers is like, scare us, right? Like we, we want a burning platform. We think, you know, or some of our executive team think that the future is 15 years from now and we're still comfortable. I want you to show the team that we're actually more likely in the three to four to five year range. Um, and and that, that is the reality of it. And so where I've seen it be the most effective is really bringing down, you know, a group of individuals who are in kind of the, the decision-making roles and saying like, you, you, you know, you may think quantum computing is, you know, still 10, 15 years out. And it very well may be for like ultimate, you know, full penetration into the market. But these are things that we have to start working on now. Otherwise, we will be ultimately too far behind when they stick. An example that I always tell is uh, a really quick one is, you know, I was working with one of the largest insurance companies in, in, in the world. Uh, we had their entire executive suite from IT and technology out with us uh, at, at NASA. And, you know, there's, you know, 10, 15 people in the room. Our, our head quantum computing faculty was on stage. The question came up of like, when will robo-advisors, you know, be the norm in, in, in the insurance industry? In this case, robo-advisors mean, you know, you customer call into them, ask financial advice. You think you're talking to a human, but an artificial intelligence is actually asking your questions and you can't tell the difference. And so, you know, they kind of talked about it for a few minutes and they raised their, I raised my hand in the back and I'm like, okay, you've got, you know, everyone in here has got a PhD in some kind of computer science or technology. 
you know, when do you think that you should start investing in building those robo-advisors? You know, the CTO said seven years, CIO said five, a couple of people said 10. You know, my quantum faculty said you're already three years behind. Not one person in the room agreed on when. So they clearly did not have an aligned vision for the future that they were executing on building. Because it would sound a lot like we believe the future for us is one where you know, a certain percentage of our workforce is powered by artificial intelligence to be able to better service our customers. And if we believe that future is one that we're building, we are investing in it today. But they simply didn't agree on the timelines or when to take, when to take action. And so it's, it's interesting as a, as a reader of the book to say, okay, I know, that I know this technology is coming. Great, that's, that's table stakes. When do we believe we need to take action? That's the most important question to align ourselves around. Because ultimately, if you don't, then you've got five people in your company running at 60 miles an hour. You've got you know, another five that are running at 20. You've got another five that are naysayers. And then ultimately, that's where the big reputation for you know, larger companies comes in for just being stuck in the mud. Things don't get done because people aren't aligned on where they're going. That's my advice. Yeah, and, and, and I'd say that, you know, each of these, in my opinion, anyway, I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's kind of like different speeds in each of these. Like you may be racing very quickly in leadership or culture and then innovation, you know, is working at a different pace. Um, is, that, is that the way to do it? I, I, I do think that, that we've got different focus areas. And so in, in, in how fast we execute them, I, you know, I know lots of brands where, you know, they are known to have extremely creative and innovative people, right? And so I may say to that client, you know, your leadership work that you're doing right now, you know, there's some stuff that we can do to help them get more prepared for, you know, the coming technologies and trends, but they're there, right? But if I then go and ask them, you know, for instance, you know, what, what is your 15-year vision for where you're building out? Oh, well, I mean, we've got a five-year strap plan. Is that what you mean? Like McKinsey came in and gave it to us, but that's all we've done. You know, that, that's typically what I hear. And so, and you say, you may see it reversed. You know, I, I think that you really can't, I mean, obviously this is the argument of the book. You really can't get there successfully unless you're doing work in all four. But to your point, depending on what industry you're in and what your maturity level in that industry is and what market share you have in, on it, you may be able to push faster in some areas than others, right? Like I would have different advice for Amazon than I would for Sears, right? Obviously. And so, you know, it really depends on where they're at. And ultimately, you know, the further, this is the scary part, the further you get behind, the more it's either really expensive and difficult to catch up or quite frankly, impossible. Yeah, and, and, and that's where I think people make the mistake around this kind of crisis of prioritization, which is very much a Jeffrey Moore thing um, on kind of allocating people and resources and time and money to very different initiatives or activities uh, especially if you're a smaller medium business where the same people are the same people, you know, you don't have deep benches where, you know, many of the examples you've given are, you know, fortune hundred or 250 companies, right. Where they've got a, a lot more ability to assign resources that if they're assigned to it, you know, doesn't bring the rest of the business to a screeching halt. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I agree. I mean, for me, I, I see it working to your point in all size of businesses, um, you know, and I, uh, I, I totally hear you. I, I've seen startups with, with a, you know, each one of the four founders is trying their own special sauce on the feature set and, and, and slowing their, their, their uh, launch to market, right? Like, I mean, I think ultimately you really have to have that aligned vision of where you're going. And once you have that descent, you know, and, and you have budget owners or, you know, even at a medium sized company where you've got, you know, a, a board of sorts, but then the exec team may not agree on where you're, where you're really trying to go. Um, you know, or, you know, your CFO is holding the purse strings and it's not aligned to where the CF, CEO is trying to take things from a vision standpoint. All those things are doing is basically saying, I'm going to slow things down. And what the problem with that is, is, is people may have gotten away with that where, you know, the competitive landscape didn't change all that much in a 10 or 20 year set. Well, now, I mean, you're basically having to rewrite the playbook, you know, every year. Uh, and I was on a client, uh, a client call, you know, a few, a few months ago with one of the largest jewelers in the world, you know, and their head of innovation and transformation flat out told me, like, I believe, we believe as an executive team, one year from now, in one year, the, whether this company is going to work or go down will be determined in the next year, which is a 130, 140 year old company, right? Like, I mean, the, the, the speed of that change is it, it necessitates alignment and vision and all the people being able to handle that pace of change and leveraging the technologies to do it. Uh, it's, it's a really uh, important step that we keep stressing over and over again in the book that, you know, you, you, you lose on one of these and it, it trips you up, right? You can't say I have the best tech and I have the best right. vision. And then you don't train your leaders to be future focused, fail. Right. It's like this game yep. that you must be playing on all four parts. Otherwise it, it will have a system breakdown. There's just so many books out there right now. And like, you know, the power of culture, totally agree. Right. But then you miss the strategy, the people, right. And, and, and the power of leadership while well, you miss the other three pieces. And so it really takes thoughtfulness to do all four uh, in a concerted effort or, or they'll be in trouble. Well, that's a great way to sort of wrap this up because I think there's just so much fantastic advice in there. And, you know, hopefully um, the listeners you know, that, that and, and me as well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in trying to separate big thoughts, you know, into, into conversations that are more digestible versus these big macro statements, which by the way, tend to be true. It's just, it's, it's hard for someone to receive them and then go, okay, number one, I understand it. And I agree with it. Let's say for the most part, I agree with it. But then comes execution, right? It, it, how do I actually get that done? Who does it? How do we support it? How do we pay for it? How do we, you know, then it's the kind of the how. Uh, and, the, and sometimes it's so overwhelming. And right now with all the other overwhelming things that are going on, that, that people just aren't able to, to see around the corner. Um, you know, so ultimately, uh, you know, I think this has been really great advice. So Nick, how can people keep in touch with you, your work beyond, of course, the book Future Ready? Uh, besides that, what are ways that they can keep in touch with what you're doing? Uh, fasterfuture.org. You'll find our services that we offer there and links to buy the book, fasterfuture.org. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Uh, appreciate your time and spending uh, with us today on the What's Next podcast. We'll look forward to keeping up with everything that you're doing. Thank Thanks you. again for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. What an interesting conversation with Nick. I really enjoyed hearing his framework on how to think about building a business that is future ready across innovation, leadership, and culture. 
It isn't one thing, it's a combination of multiple things. And the decisions that you make as leaders in how you allocate your people, your resources, your investment in technology has huge implications on how successful you're gonna be 12 to 18 or 24 months from now. So really think about those decisions that you make. I hope you've enjoyed today's What's Next podcast. Please subscribe, share with friends, leave some comments and feedback. I look forward to having you back again with me next time. Have a great day.